on today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. When we want our blood sugar to be around 100, the amount of glucose that it takes to run a body at 100 is like is four-fifths of a teaspoon. Now, a can of Coke is 12 teaspoons. If your body is not even running off of one teaspoon, what do you think all of this sugar is doing to systems that were never evolved or designed to handle this kind of raw, you know, sugar intake? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. As always, I am your host, Courtney Swan, and I am so grateful that you're here. Today's episode is one that I have been wanting to do for a while. I just needed to find the right expert to come on and talk all about it. So today's episode is one where we dive fully into diabetes. So I brought on Dr. Mona Morstein. She's a naturopathic physician who has been practicing for 31 years years now. She's also the author from the esteemed book, Master Your Diabetes, a comprehensive integrative approach for both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And I want to be clear here, we talk both about diabetes 1 and 2, but primarily we are talking about type 2 diabetes. So even though um, I don't name specifically type 2 diabetes when I'm asking her questions about um, diet related and lifestyle changes that people can do. I want to be very, very clear in differentiating between the two. And as you hear in the very beginning, there is a difference between type one and type two. Type one is an autoimmune disorder. And once diagnosed, it is something that you do live with for life. Another thing that I did want to point out that we did not have time to talk about on the episode, and I was kind of bummed because I wanted to ask her about this, but something that is really important to note Um, There is a new school of thought that Alzheimer's is actually type 3 diabetes. There are a lot of experts that are referring to Alzheimer's as type 3. And I think it's really important for people to understand this because as we talked about throughout this episode, there are many ways that we can either keep ourselves from getting type 2 diabetes or we can reverse it. And the same can be applied for type 3 diabetes. So this is why it's incredibly important for us to stay on top of our diets and our lifestyle and make sure that we are really taking care of our blood sugar and our sugar intake because it could affect us down the line and um, could potentially lead to Alzheimer's or type 3 diabetes. So I thought that was really interesting to note while we're talking about diabetes. And with that, let's get into the episode. And before we get into the episode, if you could just take a moment to rate and review, it would mean so much to me. It really, really helps the show. And I am so grateful for your support. And also bear with me because I'm kind of losing my voice today. I went to a music festival last weekend and screamed my heart out and I am still paying for it. So bear with me while I'm getting my voice back. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. If you're like me and you struggle with insomnia and stress, you're going to want to listen to this. Four out of five Americans are actually magnesium deficient and almost everyone is at suboptimal levels. And the problem is, is that magnesium is involved in more than 600 biochemical reactions in your body. And as a result, if you have suboptimal levels of magnesium in your body, it can lead to irritability, anxiety, insomnia, muscle cramps, twitches, constipation. The list of symptoms is almost endless. So what do you do about it? You need to find a really good high quality magnesium supplement. This is why I love Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. It has all seven critical forms of magnesium. Pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your brain to your sleep, pain and inflammation. You have less stress. 
This is the first supplement that I've seen of its kind. It's the only full spectrum magnesium supplement that has all seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually use and absorb. And if you're like me and you want to take it a step further and really optimize your deep sleep and REM sleep, I highly recommend their sleep breakthrough. It's a sugar-free drink that you have before bed, and it really does help to give you the best sleep ever. If you want to try any of the Bioptimizers products, please go to bioptimizers.com slash realfoodology, and you are going to save 10%. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash realfoodology and use code realfoodology. If you have listened to this podcast for a while, you know I talk a lot about our exposure to environmental toxins, whether that's pharmaceutical drugs and heavy metals and herbicides and pesticides in our tap water or our food and finding phthalates in our food and pesticides, et cetera. There's a lot of stuff that we're being exposed to on a day-to-day basis. And while there are some things that we can do to control and mitigate our exposure to these toxins, there's only so much that we can do. So one of the things that I am a huge proponent for is sweating every day. Now, this means moving your body, getting exercise, getting your lymph flowing. Another great way to do this is with a sauna. I am a huge fan of the higher dose sauna bag. I have personally had one for about three years now. And what I love so much about it is that it does not take up a lot of space. So if you if you live in a smaller uh, like apartment or a small house and you don't have the space for a big sauna, this is the perfect option for you. Or even if you do have a big space, it's really great because it's super portable. Um, I personally lay in my sauna bag on my bed and then I, I either read a book or I watch TV. And it's great because you get all the benefits of an infrared sauna, but you don't have to have a big, huge sauna in your house or you don't have to leave your house either to go to a sauna. The higher dose sauna bag is so great. I always make sure to get a sweat in at least a couple times a week. And what's so great about it is that you are supporting your detoxification pathways and helping your body to sweat out everything that we are being exposed to on a day-to-day basis. If you want to try any of the higher dose products today, including their sauna bag, you are going to get 15% off if you use code RealFoodology. So go to higherdose.com, that's H-I-G-H-E-R-D-O-S-E.com and use code RealFoodology and you're going to save 15%. Mona, I am so happy to have you on the podcast today. And um, like I said before, I was very excited to bring you on to talk about diabetes because I have yet to do a podcast about diabetes. And I'm really excited to talk to you about an integrative approach to diabetes, especially now um, with the rising rates of diabetes in, in our country. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks very much, Courtney, for inviting me. My pleasure. Yeah. So what is your, what's your background and how did you get into um, integrative diabetic, um, an integrative diabetic approach? Um, I'm, I'm a naturopathic physician and I've been practicing for 33 years. And, um, you know, my story is, you know, is I hope kind of, embarrassing and inspiring, I hope. But when I was first starting out in my medical practice in Great Falls, Montana, I actually missed the diagnosis of a type two patient who was in an acute, a really acute state. And um, so that made me question everything about myself as a physician. Was I a responsible physician? Should I be in care of people's health? And it really threw me 
deeply into self-analysis. And what I decided is that I do want to be a physician, but I was going to make sure I never missed anything related to diabetes again. And so I, I went and worked with Dr. Richard Bernstein uh, in his clinic in New York, and I launched upon a lot of study and, and uh, you know, became... I guess you really an expert in all aspects of diabetes, type one, type two, kids, insulin, medications, and of course, all of the beauty of naturopathic, you know, integrative methods of looking at it and also treating it. Yeah. Wow. That's a, a, an amazing story. So let's just start with the, the basics. Um, what is the difference between diabetes one and diabetes two? Well, I mean, so the difference, just a you know, quick difference is diabetes two is a disease of insulin resistance where these patients are able to make insulin. And in fact, they're usually overproducing insulin because you know, almost all the cells in our body, aside from there's a set of four cells that do not require insulin to take glucose in, right? But for most cells, there's a cell and there's a receptor that insulin lands on. And then there's this chemical phosphorylation reaction that stimulates inside the cell for glucose transporter four to reach out, grab glucose and bring it inside. And there, based on insulin's guidance, it should turn into fat and store as energy. But once people start getting overweight and into obesity or even worse, morbid obesity, and especially with weight gain around the abdomen, the cells have enough fat in them and they don't want more glucose and they don't want more fat. And so they become resistance. The insulin will land in their receptor, but they're not listening. The glucose goes higher in the bloodstream since it's not entering the cells. And at a certain number, fasting 126 and above, they have diabetes, right? So the process for them, now there's many, many, it's not just abdominal fat that causes it. There are many etiological reasons for the insulin resistance process to begin. Now with type one, this is an autoimmune disease for also other reasons the immune, our own immune system, you know, just starts attacking some aspect of the pancreas. And that causes enough damage to the beta cells in the pancreas that produce insulin that they're no longer able to produce life supporting amounts of insulin. And so these patients uh, at, at some point in their health will be need to live on insulin to enable their food and their glucose to get in their cells. Mm -hmm. So um, now a type two diabetic patient can be so poorly controlled for so long that there's so much damage to their beta cells that they no longer are able to produce insulin and need to, or, and need to go on injected insulin, but you don't, but they're still type two. They're just, poorly controlled type two, now insulin dependent, right? But they mm -hmm. never become, you know, type one, which is that autoimmune situation. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. And 
I know that once someone is diagnosed with type one diabetes, that they're that they will be on insulin for life. Like there's no sort of reversing of that. But with type two diabetes, um, some people say that you can reverse it or a lot of say, or it just becomes asymptomatic, whatever you decide to to call that. The best term is controlled. Yes. Now you can have controlled or you may be reversed. What we shouldn't say is cured, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, so whether it's controlled without medications or it's been reversed, I think those are good terms. Well, and that's really why I wanted to do this episode because I want to give people hope that even if you have a, a diabetes 2 diagnosis, that this is not the end of the world, that there are things that we can do, especially diet related um, to control it, like you said. And I definitely want to dive into that, but I want to dive a little bit more about the mechanisms of this before we do that. Um, first of all, you mentioned this and I want to hear what some of the other signs and symptoms are. So what are the signs of diabetes 2? I know that you mentioned the fat around the middle. What are some other signs and symptoms that people would look for? You know, there's unfortunately, you know, not many necessarily. Um, the, uh, you know, they're not really getting into what we see with the, the extreme onset of type 1. Uh, they're probably a little tired, fatigued. They could have an, more of an appetite. Insulin resistance drives appetite, which then kind of is this catch-22 of eating more and gaining weight and having more appetite and so forth. Um, but, you, you know, there, there may be, for example, wound healing may not be good. There may be, in women, more vaginal yeast. In men, maybe some jock itch, sort of fungal overgrowth, more athlete's foot, because fungus, of course, when we make bread, you know, flour, yeast, sugar to feed the yeast and, and water. And so too much sugar in the body, if there's yeast, which is a natural microorganism in our skin and our internal microbiomes, that they're going to, you know, they can really go to you know, they can really ex, uh, ex proliferate, right? There, there are some skin changes, um, a melon uh, of, um, uh, that can darken the skin, uh, nigrocans, um, there's skin tags, right? So neck skin tags are associated with insulin resistance. So there's some varied kind of changes that can happen, but I mean, in America, which is, you know, a first world country, it's so easy to get blood drawn and to just get the glucose that before most, like ironically, the patient who drove me into diabetes expertise was in an advanced state of type mm. 2 diabetes. Um, but I've had patients walking in my door, oh, you know, they're a little tired. They're not feeling good. And there's just enough that I like poke their finger in the office and they're 443. And you know, you're, <laughs> how are you even out of bed? Just to give people, just to give people an understanding, what is the, what's the healthy range? So we, our ideal fasting glucose should be around 80 to 85. After we eat, you know, maybe anywhere from 100 to 120 and then goes, you know, that 80 to 120 will be an average of 100, which is a A1C, one mm -hmm. of our long-term monitor labs of the last three months. That'll be a 5.0. So that's kind of an ideal A1C. So that kind of spread. So if you're 
I mean, you're a diabetic patient fasting if you're 126 or above or after you eat at 200 or above. So walking around at 443 is so very... I mean, that's frightening. Yeah, that's really scary. Um, so you've mentioned insulin resistance a couple of times. So for, for people listening, I want them to, to understand, um, can you have insulin resistance without having diabetes? And what exactly does insulin resistance mean? So um, you can't, I mean, certainly pre-diabetes is the beginning of insulin resistance. And like most things, there's a mild and a moderate and then a severe that can happen literally over years, right? Mm. So um, as I said, insulin resistance just means the cells of the body that use insulin to take glucose in are not doing that even though there is insulin in the body to stimulate that, but they're not listening. Now there's many reasons cells can become insulin resistant um, and that can drive the development of diabetes. For example, um, nutrient deficiency. So the cells require uh, nutrients uh, to have that system work. It requires chromium and zinc and vanadium and uh, and magnesium and uh, omega-3 oils. And these are um, needed to have that system really work. And not everybody may be uh, eating these or having, I mean, honestly, omega-3 deficiency is pretty common. They say magnesium is an undiagnosed, very common nutrient deficiency. Although honestly, when I test my patients, it's very rare that I find anybody really? with magnesium deficiency. So I don't know, but, um, so, but nutrient deficiencies, obviously the weight gain and the weight gain is usually right. Ascribed to eating, too many calories and not exercising to help balance that. Now the whole calorie in calorie out exercise, I mean, there's other factors, which I'll talk about in a second, but if you are just eating Big Macs and candies and soda pop, and then you're just playing video games or watching TV, it's going to be pretty easy today to gain weight and become insulin resistant, right? Now, one uh, uh, sleep apnea is go in studies will help produce insulin resistance, mm -hmm. right? So people may not even know they're having that kind of a sleep difficulty. Uh, certainly environmental chemicals are, there are environmental chemicals like, uh, that are known as obesogens mm -hmm. that help cause obesity and diabetogens that help cause insulin resistance and diabetes. And given the preponderance of chemicals and toxins. I mean, when a newborn baby today has over 200 chemicals from the environment in their core blood, like toxic chemicals are a huge, are a huge problem and are mm -hmm. leading to a lot of people gaining weight and developing diabetes because not everybody genetically detoxes at the same uh, rate. And so if you're just born into a toxic world and your detox is a little slower just because your liver came out that way, then that puts you at higher risk of having these chemicals settle in your fat tissues, initiate 
insulin resistance. And then of course we have our microbiome, right? So the microbiome we're understanding has a lot to do with how well we metabolize our food, how insulin resistant we are. A lot of um, insulin resistance can be driven by inflammation, uh, not just in the, in the body, but also gut inflammation can get through the lining, go to muscle cells and produce insulin resistance. So, and of course our gut microbiome with all of our antibiotics and other drugs that affect the microbiome like birth control pills, as mm -hmm. well as just our diet and eating genetically modified foods and, and poor diets. And these, the, our guts take a huge amount of insult to them on a daily basis for the vast majority of our population. And that's changing the microbiome oftentimes to microbiomes that are not going to enhance meta metabolic burning of food, of energy, and will produce insulin resistance. So, you know, mm -hmm. we've got so many um, different factors that can be involved uh, in each individual patient leading to this true crisis of, of diabetes now. I mean, we have at least 30 million people with diabetes and mm. out of say 320 million patients, so practically one out of every 10 patient people in America is a diabetic and around almost a hundred million are pre-diabetic. So we're looking at one out of every three American is either pre-diabetic or diabetic now, and things are just going to get worse because age-wise, one out of every four person over 65 is a diabetic. And we're having, you know, our patients, the baby boomers, we're getting this population where people, if we can just be, I'm not trying to be ageist because I'm very, I'm entering that population soon myself, but if we're just going to stereotype, which is not always very good, but sometimes we look at older people as they have some medical conditions or on some medications, they're not exercising as much, they're not as active, or these things that can be factors in leading to weight gain. Um, you know, obesity, being overweight, that's 60 to 70% of our population. Like, it's we're in a crisis and it's not us. Let's not pick on America. This is worldwide, right? Yeah. This is worldwide. I talk a lot about glyphosate on this podcast, as you guys know, because it is a huge concern of mine right now, especially considering that the World Health Organization has deemed it as a probable human carcinogen. Something you may not know about glyphosate, though, which is equally as concerning, according to peer-reviewed articles, toxins like glyphosate, as well as gluten, actually, can degrade tight junctions in the epithelial layer of the gut lining. And because we know this, I have been taking something called gut support from ION or Intelligence of Nature daily. It was developed by Dr. Zach Bush, and it has been shown to strengthen the tight junction integrity at the gut lining. So it protects the immune and neurological systems, and it regulates the delivery of water and nutrients to the body. So what this does is that it supplies a first-line defense against everyday exposures to environmental and foodborne toxins. So outside of glyphosate, we are being exposed every single day to toxins in our environment, in our water, in our food. And so this is incredibly imperative that we are not only aware of this, but we take things and we eat things and we do things in order to help protect us from that. Gut support helps with the inflammatory response. It helps with enhancing mental clarity, promoting immune function, supporting digestion, and of course, alleviating gluten sensitivity and also helping with the effects of glyphosate. 
Outside of gut support, Ion also has a couple of other really amazing products. They have a gut support for your pets. So if you have furry friends at home, this is a great thing to get for your pets as well. They have a skin support face and body spray that helps to support a healthy sun response and improve skin hydration. And they also have a sinus support nasal spray. They have been so kind to provide me with a code for you guys. It's Real Foodology, and you're going to save 15% off on all one-time orders. So make sure that you go to intelligenceofnature.com and start restoring your gut today. Again, that's Real Foodology. You're going to save 15% and you go to intelligenceofnature.com. We really don't talk enough about the importance of liver health. And I think a lot of us don't think enough about all of the things that we are being exposed to on a day-to-day basis. Pesticides that show up in our food and water, not to mention chlorine and farm runoff and pharmaceuticals in our water, additives in our food, lotions that we put on our body on a day-to-day basis, makeup, any sort of cleaning products that you're using in your home. There is so much stuff in this modern world that we are being exposed to on a day-to-day basis. And our bodies have to filter that out and get it out. And our liver plays a huge role in that. This is why it is so important that we do things to protect our liver and make sure that it is functioning at optimal levels. So I take something every single day to protect my liver, and that is called Liver Reset from Organifi. It has Tripfala in there. It also has organic dandelion extract, organic milk thistle, and of course, artichoke leaf. All of these help to support the detoxification pathways of the liver, and they also just work really hard to protect the liver itself. You know, another little hot take that I will tell you as well, when I was struggling really hard with acne, something that helped me finally eradicate it once and for all was starting to take things that supported my liver. And one of them was all of these properties that are in this liver reset. If you would like to get liver reset, make sure you go to Organifi.com slash Real Foodology. You're going to save 20%. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Real Foodology. Or you can also just use the code Real Foodology at Organifi.com. You mentioned something earlier that I want people to understand what this means, um, obesogens and diabetogens. So I've actually never heard of the, the diabetes one. The obesogens are something I, I don't think I've ever like mentioned on the podcast before, but I know that they are um, like phthalates that we get in plastic. So plastic water bottles, if food is stored in plastic, if you heat up your food in plastic, et cetera, what are some of the other obesogens and di- diabetogens? Is that what you call them? Yeah. So yes, exactly. So these are what we call, we call them endocrine disrupting mm-hmm. chemicals that they actually can interfere with our endocrine system and, you know, with with our hormones, right? So um, for example, bisphenol A, right? Of course, Mm -hmm. they're taking that out of a lot of foods, but then they're putting in other bisphenols. Well, all of the bisphenol, the BPAs and, and these polycarbonate plastics that you said, these are clearly uh, you know, seen as obesogens, also the phthalates, which you also are up on. And this is plastic packaging, even hold, you know, grabbing the receipt. Receipts. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. You know, you're just going to be getting phthalates on your hand. Um, so this is, uh, these are very big hormones that can cause problems in people. There's another um, herbicide called um, atrazine. Mm, so that's a very widely used herbicide. 
it's found and you know in of course therefore it's in surface groundwaters our food um it's also associated with being a, a diabetogen and that's the one that's known for changing the the sex hormone of frogs right it's turning it's male frogs the and male androgens yes mm-hmm. exactly turning them into female frogs very scary right mm-hmm. uh, and then there's polyvinyl chlorides so this is um, uh, is another, you know, these chemicals are, e- even if people don't know about them, you know, they're out there. Now, another one, the PFOA, which is very long for me to stumble. Uh, it's like perf- perfluorooctanaic or something like that. PFOA, it's a surfactant. And that's what is put on, a waterproof clothing and the non-stick, mm. you know, Tupperware or stain repellent. So like you're going to, oh, let's put stain repellent on our sofas and our carpeting. And if it's this PFOA, then every time your child, you know, sits on the sofa or you do or is on the floor, um, you know, they could be exposed to this chemical, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are some of the the top one. So when we're talking with patients, not just with diabetes, but certainly with pre-diabetes or diabetes, you know, going over making their home as green as possible is really important, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Just making sure that, you know, they're getting um, um, out all of the chemicals and they're not, you know, excluding er uh, herbicides on their lawn, pesticides. Um, like there's a good company where I am. I'm in the Phoenix area. And, and it's, you know, there's a company that truly does organic, right? Organic pest control. Like mm-hmm. they'll use peppermint oil, you know, instead of, so, and it works. Uh, so, uh, but it's all their toiletries and all of these things that we're exposed to. Um, now we can't do anything about walking into our work or our business or shopping where they're, you know, those store, everything is sprayed and this is just the world. And even if you're getting hundred yeah. percent organic food, the next field over, you know, was sprayed and that goes up into that atmosphere and then the cloud moves it over your organic farm and it rains down on so even we and it's in the groundwater organic is a hundred percent just because of rain water right and we actually can get pesticides from China over you know coming over the Pacific and raining on our fields right but at least they are clearer and at least your money is supporting those farmers, right? And and more we have money supporting them, of course, we have much more of them out there, right? And you're getting less exposures to those chemicals, at least, because they're not applying the chemicals to the food specifically. Even if it is getting the runoff, you're still getting at least a less of an impact, which is really important. And, you know, I tell people this all the time that, like you were just saying, there's only so much we can, tr- can control. So this is why it's really important that we also support our detoxification pathways. So support your liver, take supplements that support your liver and also sweat every day if you can, move your body, get your lymph flowing, like things like that are really important because there's only so much we can do about our exposure. So then we also need to make sure that we're detoxing out and, and cleaning out our system. Right. And I just, you know, that's completely 
Correct. <clears throat> and I agree with it 100 percent. You know, in naturopathic medicine, the four amunctories, right, is the liver colon. So we also have to make sure that people can have a good bowel movement every day because mm-hmm. you can have the liver dump it into the gut and have it be reabsorbed, right? The kidneys, the skin, and then the, the breath. But the I'm just picking up on on sweating. I mean, absolutely. We know like when I was in medical school, we did uh could well. We did what's dead lab, although that was cadaver lab, which was when we had to cut up a cadaver. Well, they're all preserved with formaldehyde. And so right after that class was over, even though we were dressed in plastic and we'd run down to the gym right at the bottom of the hill from our medical school, I'd hop in the sauna. So within 20 minutes, I'm in the sauna and I could taste the formaldehyde coming oh my out God. of my skin. I could, I could taste it. It's crazy. So, but the problem is in America, we're like, oh, we don't want to sweat. Oh my God, I have a sweat stain. Like sweating is, you know, we want to always be cool and God forbid we, so for sure, I tell people, even when they work out, you know, wear enough clothes that your top is soaked every Mm -hmm. day. Like you're not supposed to work out and just always be cool, be hot, sweat. And then definitely getting into saunas and sweating. We know scientifically that chemicals, heavy metals, even mycotoxins can come out through the sweat. And that is definitely underused by so many people uh, now in around the country and around America with our you know deodorants and all yeah. the things where people don't welcome sweat as well as they should as such a powerful detoxifier. So we've already talked a little bit about what causes diabetes, but I want to talk about the overconsumption of sugar in this country because it is an everything now. I mean, you look at salad dressings and tomato sauce and like just all these things, our nut milks, our peanut butters, everything. And when you add up, if you look at the end of the day, how much products that you've consumed that have added sugar, it's really getting concerning. And I've I've seen a little bit of resistance recently, like people talking about this on Instagram saying, no, it's not the sugar, but I don't believe that's true. Do you think that our overconsumption of sugar is leading to this? I mean, overconsumption of sugar, well, first of all, let's state food groups, right? Vegetables, fruits, protein, grains. Sugar is not part of them. Sugar is a poison. It's it's been a poison since day one, and it is just a poison. It's not a food group. It's not something to eat. It's just something we do eat. It's like cigarettes are not, you know, part (laughs) of our breathing. It's just what people do, but it's not like naturally a part. So sugar is a poison. And I think, you know, it's been around stable around 150 pounds of sugar a year. And a lot of that is because it can be hidden in all of these other foods. Now, the good news is, of course, you can buy all your foods without refined sugar in it, but you have to be cognizant and look for it and and be aware of that. But for sure, here's the deal. This is us. So when we want our blood sugar to be, I have a, I have a handout that like, when we want the blood sugar to be around, um, a hundred, do you, the amount of glucose that it takes to run a body at a hundred is like three is four fifths of a teaspoon. 
That's it. That's like how much sugar is in your body running everything. And that extra quarter teaspoon puts you into diabetes. Now, a can of Coke is 12 teaspoons of, oh of refined sugar. Wow. Right. So if your body is not even running off of one teaspoon, what do you think all of this sugar is doing to systems that were never evolved or designed to handle this kind of just overt raw, you know, sugar intake, right? Mm -hmm. So anybody who's saying it's not a problem, I mean, why would we listen to them? Like, we just need filters. You just need filters. Like, you know, sometimes it's like, I just watched a little bit of Iron Man last night and, you know, Tony Stark is in his and he's got the holograms and he just throws this out and he throws that out to focus on what he wants. And that's what I think, you know, we have to do with a lot of people's thoughts. You're like, sugar's not a problem. Bye. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I know. Yeah. You know, you just got to well, just send it away like a useless hologram. Well, because you have to uh, think about yeah. this logically because it, it, to me, it makes perfect sense. It's just common sense that if you are over consuming sugar and overloading your body, there's only so much like you were just saying that your body can utilize and then what what's happening to the rest of it and of course we're dealing with insulin resistance when we're just constantly flooding our body with more sugar we're having to pump out more insulin and eventually our body's going to say enough and that's what we're witnessing right now and what's happening and so and I want to be really clear for people listening because I know there's a lot of confusion. When we say sugar, we're not talking about fruit in its whole real form. We're talking about like refined white sugar that's being added to things like cane juice and white sugar, brown sugar, et cetera. Fruit is okay. I still tell people that you want to be careful with how much fruit you're consuming every day. You don't want to be eating like five bananas a day. But fruit is okay. It's healthy. It's a healthy form of sugar because it also comes in a package of fiber and minerals and there's other nutrients in there that help slow down the, the sugar. Yeah, and antioxidants and mm-hmm. you know vitamins. And so absolutely, uh, we are on the same page with all of uh, your comments. Awesome. I, you know, one or two fruits a day is mm-hmm. plenty. And then you want more produce? turn it into vegetables, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, you know, that's where the next phase of your produce intake should be. Right. Totally. So what are, what are some ways that people, what can they do? Um, what are ways that they can prevent from developing diabetes? So let's talk a little bit about diet changes, lifestyle changes. Well, you know, type two, uh, certainly. Yeah. That's what I mean. Type genetic. two. You know, yeah. yeah. There's, you know, there's, so you're going to have people that are equally overweight and maybe equally don't exercise and and they have diabetes and they don't. And so there is a genetic component to who has a higher risk. There's also lean type two. So I've had patients that have grandmother had type two and mom has it and brother and they're lean, but we're just eating badly and got Mm. type two. Right. So, um, So one is, what is your own personal risk factor? Where is it in your family? Are you Hispanic? Higher risk. Are you African-American? Higher risk. Are you a Pacific Islander? Higher risk, right? Um, And uh, so obviously, honestly, just trying to maintain a healthy weight um, somewhere within the range of what a healthy weight would be for you and your height and weight and, and body type and bone structure, et cetera. But generally, I mean, I, I don't know of anybody who's becoming diabetic, eating whole foods 
and uh, getting some exercise and getting their sleep and, uh, you know, also emotionally. I mean, if you're stress eating, then we have to process the way a person handles stress. I mean, life is it's a tough planet, as I say, you know, Mm -hmm. so um, if if stress eating is one of your methods, then um, we just need to sit down and work on other ways. Do is there? Do we need counseling? Do we need to engage many other stress-reducing um, therapies that there are, right? And uh, so a lot of it is, honestly, if people honestly picture the most commonsensical things, that would work, right? Eating a whole food, you know, eating a healthy diet, getting exercise, getting sleep, managing your stress well. I'm an advocate and everybody taking a multiple vitamin and fish oils so that every day, all the nutrients that your body needs to run, including those for pre-diabetes are being taken in so that if this day is a little less than that or a little that, at least we know nutritionally, the body has what it needs uh, to not become as easily insulin resistant nutritionally. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't think like I'm, I think a bigger Instagram thing would be, should we eat grains? Like grains have gotten this horrid word, like, oh my God, you know, grains are so terrible, but you know, they're really not. I mean, grains have always been a part of humanity's life for the last at least 10 or so thousand years. And I mean, they, con- you know, Rome ate the bread conquering the world and, and the, the Chinese built the Great Wall of China with eating rice. I mean, it's not like we've been sick and weak as a human, as a human species because we have historically been eating grains. That's mm-hmm. just not been the case. But the thing is, is, of course, things in balance and the quality of the grains Mm -hmm. and you know how you're how you are eating them um so i i do think that if you're if you're if you're not if you're just trying to live life and be healthy i do believe that grains can be a part of that for sure yeah i actually i just had zach bush on my podcast and and we talked a little bit about this and he believes and and many people in our field believe that it's really not about the grain so much as it is about what we're doing to the grain, which means that we're spraying it with glyphosate, we're spraying it with other herbicides and pesticides to dry it out. And then also we're not using the same heirloom um, seeds and strains that we have eaten for a long time. Yeah. Now, if we're talking specifically about gluten, right? Mm-hmm. So historically, yes, we would use something like icorn wheat, mm-hmm. which is lower innately in gluten. And we would always make bread with mother's yeast. Now, mother's yeast will break down gluten in the bread so that it isn't something we have to digest. And then came the 20s. And women are kind of getting, you know, are getting liberated. And we don't want to spend the time in the kitchen all the time. Well, they made Mm -hmm. packets of yeast, baker's yeast. That'll make bread, but it won't break down gluten. And over the 1900s, we decided, you know what, bread is good, but I want pizza crust and noodles. Well, that takes more protein. So we had to, so we hybrid wheat, which is not GMO, hybriding wheat. There's nothing the matter with hybriding something for the human body to eat. It's it's the same natural DNA. We're just picking out a, a one aspect and focusing on that. But our wheat 
we wanted to have more protein. Well, that's gluten. So we made a lot more gluten in the bread, processing it and then baking it with a baker's yeast that doesn't break down the gluten. Now, whenever we do stuff like that, you just have to wait 50 or 60 years and people that will be sensitive to gluten will start having that problem. There's still, though, nowadays, many people who aren't sensitive to gluten. And but there are uh, there are people who certainly are. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, a, a gluteny thing, the history of how gluten has become more of a, a problem and the factors, you know, that developed it now glyphosate. Yeah, that has a real screw up with gluten, even potentially producing celiac disease in the gut, right? Roundup, yeah. but it's not on our food. Roundup, I mean, my neighbors, you know, I'll tell you, my neighbor next door, I sprays all her weeds with Roundup and my cat who was wandered mm. got lymphoma and passed away. And I believe that it was the exposure to, you know, my neighbor's lawn. Yeah. And because this is what people get. They get lymphoma, right? So glyphosate, mm -hmm. it's not really, you know, it's roundup on food, but you are surrounded by it with all of your Yeah, it's everywhere. And so forth, yeah. Mm. Luckily, you know, Bayer is not going to be producing it in the United States anymore because of all the lawsuits. Mm -hmm. uh, so we will, it will, within a year or so, it won't be, it will, we won't be, we won't be able to get it in our country. Which is really, uh, it's a huge victory. We've been fighting this for a long time, so this is a huge victory. Do you suffer from IBS or other digestive issues? Are you looking for a new podcast to listen to? From the producer of the Real Foodology podcast comes the all-new health and nutrition podcast, Digest This, hosted by Bethany Ugardi. You may know Bethany as the face of the popular Instagram page, Lil Sipper, or you may have even read her book. Now you can find her wherever you get your podcasts. On Digest This, Bethany examines topics such as gut health, nutrition, the food industry, and highlights specific ingredients that can be beneficial or harmful to your gut health. She also explores non-toxic options in beauty, home, and cooking essentials. If it has to do with your health, Digest This is talking about it. Each episode features an interview with health experts, doctors, and wellness advocates and delivers you information that is, well, easy to digest. Bethany also delivers a weekly segment every episode called Bite of Knowledge, where she highlights an ingredient commonly used in food, skincare, household cleaning, you name it, and gives you the lowdown on the benefits or dangers that ingredient might have in your everyday life. From Botox, potassium, olive oil, and magnesium, all the way to those ingredients you can barely pronounce on the back of your cereal boxes, Bethany has you covered. There's a reason why it debuted at number two on Apple Podcast Nutrition Charts, Check out Digest This on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media. So do you think that a low-carb diet has been proven to be effective in effective treatment? Oh, uh, so you have, so we have the two extreme ways of diet for type 2 diabetes. And, you know, one is the low-carb. Now, for sure, there's the low-carb diet has definitely been proven to be really the best starting treatment for a person with diabetes, no doubt about it. This has been promoted by Dr. Bernstein and mm -hmm. in my book, Master Your Diabetes. Um, there's no doubt that this is the first phase diet. On the other hand, you have what's called the, uh, the MP2 uh, diet, which is um, 
So there's another diet philosophy of a, a high carb, low fat, like vegan diet, right? And that is also out there and promoted as being very helpful for controlling diabetes. The problem is you can't combine the two. Like you, you can't eat the, you can't eat beans on a low carb diet, just yeah. because, you know, but, or you can't have a bunch of meat with your, you know, your vegan, you know, grains. And like, you cannot, they don't mix, but there are really good studies. Um, even with a macrobiotic diet, I have the studies of how a macrobiotic diet made incredible improvements in men with type mm. two diabetes from around the world, um, if you can live on that diet and so forth. So there are, so we have these extremes. Now, most people, at least in America, for sure, you can socialize better and the diet is more familiar and eating a low carb diet. We can have bread made from almond flour and you, you can, it's so much more applicable to a typical Western diet that that is by far the most prevalent and, and most desired diet and follow diet of people with type two. But mm -hmm. it is for sure, you've got to, uh, in that regard, you've got to remove the grains now, you know, or not the grains, of course, the biggest part of yeah. that in a type two diet, but also other high carb aspects of food, right? Yeah. Okay. Wait. So you're saying that it's it's better to go low carb, or it's better to go um, like you were saying the low fat, high carb. My definitely. I mean, the one I work with diets, ninety nine point nine percent of the time is a low carb diet. Yeah. But if you go online and you're searching, you're gonna find well established uh, people promoting this vegan high carb diet, right? Yeah. Well, in the, the USDA food pyramid, which we know is complete garbage, um, they promote a high carb, low fat diet for diabetes, which I think is asinine. It drives me crazy. Well, but the good news is, is that the, uh, the, the uh, American Diabetes Association, which I obviously have enormous issues with, but in their, in their guidelines, they do allow that a low carb diet is a valid option that physicians can follow, you know, put their patients on with diabetes. And, and that's been, a, that was the, their most recent, that was a huge change for them because for 40, let's see, for they from 75 to 2008, you know, 18, whatever, how many, 40, 40, 50 years, 50 years, uh, they were obviously a high carb diet um, because fat. So here's the deal. We had people dying from, we didn't have much type two diabetes early on, but we had a lot of type one. We didn't have a lot, but we had enough um, that we had, we could start following it. Uh, and these patients would just die pretty horribly. We mm. invented insulin in 1922, actually a couple of Toronto uh, researchers did. And then, so they started living a little longer until they all died of heart disease. And so then we did autopsies and found that their arteries were all full of cholesterol. So the ADA said, wow, we better have a low cholesterol, low fat diet because in the seventies, that's how they understood you know, cardiovascular disease. So that is what they've been doing forever. Now, of course we know 
Uh, for example, elevated triglycerides are not due to fat intake. It's too much carb intake. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, exactly. So, so finally the ADA maybe kicking is screaming, but they are now saying a low carb diet is a valid diet you can do. So mm. that's a start, but. So when let's get really granular here for people so they can understand. So how many carbohydrates per day does that look like in a lower carbohydrate setting? Generally, a low carbohydrate diet is saying around 30 grams total of carbs a day, mm -hmm. uh, generally less in the morning. Bernstein came out with 6, 12, and 12 with the idea that we have less in the morning because of this phenomenon called the dawn phenomena, which is there are a few things happening overnight, but particularly cortisol is very high in the morning. So cortisol wakes us up. And it also stimulates our liver to make blood sugar so that we have energy before we break the fast and eat mm -hmm. breakfast and get on with our day. So because we have this dawn phenomena and higher blood sugars generally in the morning, um, especially in people with diabetes, we have less carbs right in the morning. And then because we're up and moving and being a little more active, more at lunch and supper for around 30 a day, 30 grams. So that's pretty low carb. Yeah. Now, keto, a keto diet gets down to maybe under 20, right? Mm. Or 10 grams, very low. Um, but 30 uh, is a little, is going to work just as well and allows more things like nuts and nut flowers and things and more variety uh, that people enjoy being on this diet long term. And is that, um, is that including net carbs or is this just regular carbs? It is net carbs. So for okay. example, if you're, uh, you teach patients that if you're looking at a nutrition label and it says this has 10 carbs, but eight are fiber, then you just have to yeah, count just two. two. Absolutely. Yeah. It's awesome. definitely net carbs. Okay. Awesome. This is so helpful. What else? So let's say someone's listening and either they're um, they're already pre-diabetic or they have it in their family and they're concerned, or maybe they are already diabetic. What are some really um, helpful things that we can tell them, you know, outside of maybe going low carb and being really mindful of your sugars, um, make sure you exercise daily. What are some things that we can tell them to help them? I understand. Those are huge things for yeah. patients. That's like, yeah. you know, I mean, especially exercise patients, you know, can do the diet, but man, there's a lot of patients that have never really established an exercise regimen mm -hmm. and that you know, they'll take the supplements, they'll get a sleep study and they'll, you know, and they'll, and they'll do, maybe they'll meditate or they'll, you know, clean out the green, you know, make their house green and, but exercise like that, getting people to consistently do it and fit it in. That is, uh, that, that's not an easy thing to just say, okay, well, we're just going to take care of those things. And yeah. Do the, uh, that is the bugaboo. Well, and what people don't understand is this couldn't be something as simple as going for a walk after a meal. It doesn't have to be like CrossFit and these insane high intensity workouts. If you like those, great, but it can also just be a walk around your neighborhood. I mean, a 15 minute walk after meals has been shown to significantly reduce glucose. There's no doubt about it, but walking or even 
Um, there are just so many aspects of exercise from even YouTube videos or even just doing, you know, some weights, mm -hmm. uh, some simple things at home. It's pretty easy to get get a machine, get I have a I have an elliptical machine, like one piece that you won't just hang your lawn, you know, your clothing on, but <laughs> yeah. that you can just pop on and do 20, 30 minutes before you run to work and so forth. We just have to train people to fit this into their life because a huge amount of Americans do not have exercise as a habit. Mm -hmm. And um, so that is probably some of my focus a lot with them, uh, putting them on, you know, I, they should be on supplements, um, diabetic damage. So remember I said four cells that don't need insulin. So those are the eyes, the kidneys, the nerves, and the blood vessel lining. And those are the cells of the body that if diabetes has been uncontrolled for long enough, develop diabetic complications, right? Mm -hmm. Diabetes is the number one reason adults go blind. It's the number one reason for uh, end-stage kidney disease and dialysis. Aside from trauma, it's the number one reason people get amputations. And of course, people with diabetes have a four to six times increased risk of dying of cardiovascular disease, which is bad because most Americans die of cardiovascular disease. Yeah. So now it's you're even higher. That's what most that they, you know. So, so that is the 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 pathways that produce that damage are oxidative. So people with diabetes need to take a lot of antioxidants. Now I wanna. I'm not trying to chill my stuff, but I have a very good product called Diamend by a company called Priority One. And uh, if I if I do a multiple and fish oil and just give them that product, uh, they're protected. And they're, because it also reduces insulin resistance, it um, decreases cravings for gluc, for sugars, a gymnema sylvester can do that. It can protect their pancreatic beta cells, and it also can prevent the complications of these or end organs if their numbers aren't perfect. And numbers aren't always perfect, but it's easy to get that your a lot of your patients, my patients, have an A1C of six or less, and it's mm -hmm. going to be really difficult to get damage in the you know with those kind of A1Cs um, because that's those are still pretty good for anybody. They're not even diabetic A1Cs, which start at 6.5, right? Mm -hmm. And for people listening that don't know what A1C is, can you explain that really quickly? So the A1C is a measurement of how, so we have our red blood cell and the red blood cell lasts for three months. So we're measuring a protein on the red blood cell called the A1C, hemoglobin, A1C protein. We're measuring what percentage of those proteins are covered in glucose. So if you have an A1C of five, it means 5% of your A1C is covered in glucose, which we can translate to a glucose number of 100. If your mm -hmm. A1C is six, it's 6% 6 is covered in glucose, which translates to a glucose of 126. And so then we have seven and eight and so forth. So we're using this to see over the last three months on average, where was your blood sugar, right? So that's mm -hmm. our long-term monitoring lab, the hemoglobin. And that's, 
And that's where uh, people get diagnosed with diabetes, right? When you look at the A1C number on their lab range. Two things. So you can, you, the um, ADA says that you can just, if the A1C is 6.5 or above, and that is a diabetic A1C, but the endocrines, the endocrinologists say, you know, we really want the blood to match that. So like if you have a fasting glucose of 115 and an A1C of 6.5, you know, are, are you or are you not? Yeah, so maybe with insurance, you could say, hey, you know what, let's say you're pre-diabetes right now because your fasting isn't supporting it, but let's really aggressively treat this because uh, you are like, you like, you are almost in the diabetic pool. Like, you know, your hand is holding on to the edge, but you know, yeah. you're, you're in six months, you're going to be fully diabetic. We don't mm. yank this back. Right. So, yeah. um, so I like to actually see the glucose and the A1C merge together. Okay. You know, and, and you just said something that I think is really important for people to understand is that, you know, just because, um, I think a lot of people kind of admit defeat when let's say like diabetes runs in their family or um, they their numbers are already rising. But what's really important is to um, l- keep a, a watch on those numbers because just because maybe you're headed in that direction or just because your parents have it does not necessarily mean that you are destined to get it. There's a lot of things that we can do, like everything we were just talking about in this entire episode to keep you from actually developing. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to have it. I mean, I can say, you know, I have a relative whose father had a terrible case of diabetes and um, and had his legs cut off and died of a heart attack. Mm. Horrible. And when she got pregnant, uh, she had gestational diabetes. And this was a wake up call for her. And she she saw her dad. And this we're now. 38 years later, and she is not a type two diabetic. She changed her diet. She got into exercising. She, I mean, she took care of herself and she has not developed the type two. So yes, even when it's graphically right there in front of you, making these changes can overcome that genetic risk for sure. So why, what is it about um, being pregnant that makes women more susceptible to diabetes? What is the whole thing behind gestational diabetes? Well, I mean, so so it's not pregnancy. If you become pregnant and you gain the 28 pounds that you're supposed to gain as a woman, as a general healthy amount that is enough for baby and amniotic fluid and so forth, you're not going to become a person with diabetes. Um, but if you gain enough weight, if you know, if you decide, oh, you know, I've been skinny all my life. Now I get pregnant, I get to gain weight. I'm going to just eat this and eat that. And you don't want to exercise and uh, it's in your family, then it's easy to gain the extra weight, which will Mm -hmm. initiate the insulin resistance, right? Uh, So it's really how much weight are you gaining, the quality of food, your nutrition stature, your exercise. Um, Really, you can exercise pretty much all throughout your pregnancy, even if it is just as you say, walking, which is mm-hmm. um, humankind's innate best exercise. Um, so this is uh, the things that come together uh, in that regard. Now, estrogens, you know, we have higher level of estrogens and that can initiate some insulin resistance. For example, in women who have type one diabetes, 
almost all of them will note right before their period, which is when their estrogens are now shooting up to initiate the bleed, um, they're going to need more insulin, right? So mm-hmm. we have much more estrogen, obviously, throughout our pregnancy to be maintaining it. So if you add weight in and then you have that estrogen, it can just be a negative com- combination. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, and then I want to ask you, is there anything else that we haven't gone over about diabetes or really, I guess, just health in general that you think people should know? Well, I mean, health in general, uh, you know, um, you know, I think it's, um, I think one of the things, I mean, diabetes, I you know, um, you know, go to your physician and have them help you with supplementation. You know, don't, there's a lot of good ones and a lot of unnecessary, and then there's therapeutic doses and so forth. You know, life for me in general, I would say it is important to have filters up and anything that is depressing or sad, like, you know, like you don't have to look at the news a hundred times a day. And you know, and, and I think one of the best things about health is to just really work on, on being happy, you know, uh, not to the exclusion of making other people <laughs> yeah. but like trying, we have so many people, anxiety and depression and, and then eating and not feeling like they can exercise and just this can trickle over into their health in so many different ways. Right. And so striving for just happiness and putting blocks up like you know you don't have to listen to this or that or let it go and and um having gratitude just thinking of you know um you know if i you know if i hit my toe into something i'll probably say some expletive and then like immediately like i thank god for the ability to walk like I, mm-hmm. any, like any negative thing, like I might automatically come out with something, but then I always stop and, 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 and put a blessing, a thank you for whatever happened. Because if you can turn your mind around like that, it, it can become more of a habit. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, it worries me, even younger kids, the amount of anxiety and depression, you know, in our younger populations and just working with people to try to do everything you can to feel happy. And and that's, that what I say is a really vital part of all of us working or podcasting, you know, just promoting so many different avenues to promote people feeling good about themselves and, uh, and having happy chemicals in their brain regularly. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really great point. I'm glad that you brought that up. So I ask all of my guests this question before we go. What are your personal health non-negotiables? So these are things, no matter how busy you are throughout the day, that you prioritize for your own health. Uh, so I do I do exercise regularly. And uh, that is, I, I do need to do that. So that is something that I do incorporate. For me, um, with regarding refined sugar, Mm-hmm. Uh, for 34 years, which is probably older than you, I made a rule because sugar was a real poison to me. It caused obsessive compulsive disease when I was a kid. And uh, so I have this, I, for 34 years, I have this rule that I, if I will only eat refined sugar on Sunday and six days a week, it will never pass my lips. And no matter if Thanksgiving is there or a wedding, like everybody knows I don't break that rule. 
ever awesome. in any way. And doing that now, this probably does me, and I do have a little sugar on Sunday, right? But I also usually hike around nine or 10 miles on Sunday. So I'm like, well, that's awesome. a good day to combine those two together. But I mean, I won't eat. There's no way it will happen uh, for six days a week, every week. It ain't going to happen. So for me, confining, you know, really getting the sugar under control and having a regular exercise regimen. Um, and I will say I'm also blessed. I've worked on this since I was 10. I have a quiet mind. And from what I talk about with patients and, you know, having a quiet mind for me it is a blessing. And I've worked on that a lot that there's just not chatter in it you know, regularly. So those, so keeping a quiet mind and those other things are non-negotiables for me. That's really impressive. And um, you gave very unique answers. A lot of people say the same stuff, but I really, I liked that a lot. That was really helpful for people to hear, I think too. And also I'm very flattered that you think that I'm younger than 34 because I'm actually 38. So thank you. Uh, you could pass for 10 years easily. Thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I attribute that to my healthy lifestyle and, and eating really well, you know? It's showing up, right? You know, Thank really you. clearly. I appreciate that a lot. Uh, well, please tell everyone listening where they can find you, where they can find your book and your supplement. Just make sure you plug everything. Yeah, I should have. Mm -hmm. You'd think I would be more uh, better at like promoting myself and having my book here. But if you go to Amazon and you look up Dr. Morstein, M-O-R-S-T-E-I-N, and uh, and just Google, or I mean, Amazon, master your diabetes. And then the rest of it is a comprehensive, integrative approach for both type one and type two diabetes. And you can see a lot of great reviews on Amazon, none of which I've paid for. <laughs> I, I don't know who any of those people are. So, so cool. uh, that makes me feel better. Uh, and um, my, um, I'm at uh, my clinic right now, I'm at a multidisciplinary clinic called Nevy Health, N-E-V-Y health.com. And I have my own website, Dr. Morstein, uh, D-R, M-O-R-S-T-E-I-N dot um, com. So th those are where people can track me down. I do telehealth a lot, um, actually across the world. Uh, I have patients in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and Turkey and Hungary. And but I also, of course, mostly see patients in the States. So, so. cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was such an enlightening episode and I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. I do too. You're great. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. If you liked the episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let me know. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. The theme song is called Heaven by the amazing singer Georgie. Georgie is spelled with a J. For more amazing podcasts produced by my team, go to resonantmediagroup.com. I love you guys so much. See you next week. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and doesn't constitute a provider-patient relationship. I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. As always, talk to your doctor or your health team first.